Welcome to Audiobook Test Drive. In today's episode, we are featuring an excerpt from Nowhere to Hide and Other Mystery Stories, written by John Marie Stein. Six Short Mysteries That Will Keep You Guessing Some of John Marie Stein's best mystery stories in a novella-length collection. These baffling murder puzzlers and thrilling crime stories include The Cruise Ship Murder, Nowhere to Hide, the Box Office Caper, Dark Hunger, The Green Sox Murder Case, and Mr. Nice at XXX.com. And now for your listening pleasure, an excerpt from Nowhere to Hide and Other Mystery Stories. Nowhere to Hide Susie Lewis slammed the bedroom door in the killer's face. She locked it and quickly moved her wheelchair away. Seconds later, the door shook and creaked under the weight of the man's body. He was throwing himself against it. Susie backed across the bedroom even more. She knew the thin door and its small lock wouldn't hold the killer long. There was a crashing sound as the man tried to break down the door again. Then Susie saw the blade of a big knife slicing through the door. Splinters flew everywhere. In the living room outside that door, the killer was hacking his way to her. Susie looked at the phone, but the man had already cut the main phone line to her apartment. The patio. She needed to get out on the patio. That way, she could go through the kitchen. From the kitchen, she could make it to the front door. Susie moved her chair. She began rolling as fast as she could towards the patio. As she passed her bathroom, Susie had an idea. She slowed. She grabbed the bathroom door and pulled it shut. She hoped this might stop the killer for a moment. He might check to see if Susie was hiding in the bathroom. Behind her, Susie heard, chunk, chunk, chunk. It was the sound of the knife hacking through the door. She reached the patio and fumbled with the lock. Her hands and fingers were shaking. Susie felt fear more than anything else. Why couldn't she get the door catch to open, she thought. Then it moved. The door was sliding aside. Susie was finally out on the patio. Now she rolled her chair towards the kitchen, all the while praying that the bedroom door would hold just a little longer. She could still hear the knife chopping away, and in between she could hear the killer cursing. The glassed-in patio she had loved was now a prison. Its walls now held her in. If she screamed at the top of her lungs, no one would hear her. Shoving the wheels of the chair with all her strength, Susie sped across the patio. She was sick with fear, knowing that a man she had once liked was trying to murder her, just as he had murdered her friend, Millie Nadwick. Susie ought to have known he was the killer earlier, of course. She ought to have known right away, at the beginning, just after Millie Nadwick's funeral. He had given himself away then. But she was no detective, and she had missed the clues until tonight. Millie had been found strangled in her room. A typed note had been left by the body. It said, I shouldn't have trusted someone like you. 
You shouldn't not have kept your promise. The morning of Millie's funeral, the police still had no clues. They had no idea who the man was. It could be anyone, the cops said. They had nothing to go on. Four people had crowded into the tiny living room of Susie's apartment the day after the funeral. Coffee was served. The guests were eating apple pie. Susie had baked it that morning. They had sat in the same living room where the murderer was now trying to hack his way to her. Marie Dressier, Susie's next-door neighbor, was talking. She said, I just can't believe about Millie being murdered like that. The building super, Lee Tracy, agreed. He said, Murder is a terrible thing. Charlie Middleton, the postman, wiped a tear from his eye. Charlie said, She never hurt nobody. Warner Baxter, Susie's upstairs neighbor, shook his head. Nobody, he agreed. Susie was a former schoolteacher. She winced when her neighbors had used bad grammar. To her ears, it was like fingernails on a chalkboard. Susie bit her tongue. She was too polite to correct them. Two hours later, Susie was getting ready to go to bed. It was then that the killer made his first try on her life. She had been in her bedroom at the time. Suddenly, someone wearing a ski mask was beside her. The man had a cord in his hand and was coming at her. Susie wheeled her chair back to the dresser. She grabbed the first thing she touched. It was her perfume bottle. She swung around and sprayed it right through the eye holes of the killer's ski mask. The man screamed and staggered backward. He clawed at his eyes. Then he turned and stumbled out of the room. Susie had wheeled to the bedroom door and locked it, her heart pounding wildly. For a moment, she thought she was going to have another stroke. The first stroke had left her in this wheelchair. She knew the next stroke could kill her. By the time the police got to her apartment, the man was gone. There was no trace of him to be found. A pleasant young man named Dan Coogan was in charge at the scene of the crime. Coogan told Susie that the man was most likely a burglar. He guessed that the man did not know Susie was home at the time. But that wasn't the case at all. It was the first attempt on her life. Now Susie raced her wheelchair madly along the patio. She wished it had only been a simple burglary. The whack, whack, whacking of the knife in the door filled her with fear. Finally, she reached the door to the kitchen. Her fingers were still shaking at the door latch. Suddenly, the sound of the killer's knife slashing at the door stopped. Susie knew she had only seconds. He would be reaching through the hole he had cut to unlock the door. The kitchen door swung open. Susie heard an awful roar coming from the man. The sound he made was full of rage. She knew that by now he had seen the bedroom was empty. She only hoped the closed bathroom door would fool him for a moment. She shot her chair through the kitchen door. Then Susie whirled around and slammed it shut. She paused for a moment. 
panting heavily. She felt short of breath. There were pains in her chest. Oh, Lord, she thought, don't let it be a heart attack, not now. Then Susie heard the sliding door in her bedroom being rattled. That door led to the patio. Susie shook her head to clear it. She had gone through a lot before this. She'd had to put up with flu as a teacher. She'd even broken an arm once after a vacation. Susie took a deep breath. I can get through this, she thought to herself. Susie shoved the wheels of her chair with every bit of energy she had left. She tried to move herself to the swinging kitchen door. It led to the living room, and after that, the front door. At any moment, she expected to hear the killer smashing the door behind her. Susie wheeled past the refrigerator, then past the sink and the stove, her own kitchen. It had seemed such a safe place only an hour ago. Now she had to get out of there in a race with death. Finally, she was there. The door to the living room, the front door, and freedom were within her reach. Suddenly, that very door crashed open in her face. It struck her chair. Susie went spinning back against the kitchen cabinets. Her chair was out of control. The killer stood in the doorway. He held the large knife high in his hand. It hadn't been until the morning after the killer's first attack that Susie had seen the light. It was then she had linked what had happened to her with Millie Nadwick's murder. That was when Charlie Middleton, her postman, had delivered the first letter. The white sheet of paper inside only had one sentence. If you don't want not to live like Millie, get out of the San Leandro arms now. Susie had felt sick, and it hadn't just been because of the letter writer's poor grammar. She had called Lieutenant Coogan. He had come and taken her story and the letter. Neither of them could understand why Susie had now become the killer's target. Lieutenant Coogan suggested she move out of her apartment for a little while, or maybe have a friend move in. Susie had moved many times in her life. She liked this apartment. It was beginning to feel like home. And her mind was made up that she would not move again. She wasn't going to let anyone make her run away. Not even this killer. So she had asked Marie Dressier to move in and keep her company for a few days. Marie was 63 and not very brave. But she had agreed. Lee Tracy, the building super, promised to keep an eye on her. So did Warner Baxter, her upstairs neighbor. Susie and Marie got along well together for a week. But during the second week, they began to get on each other's nerves. Then they saw on the TV news that a man had confessed to Millie Nadwick's murder. What a relief! Susie had said to Marie. Marie thought it was time to move back down the hall. Susie was more than glad to have the place all to herself again. Two hours later, the killer struck a second time. There had been a knock at the door. Susie thought it was Marie. Marie had been back two times already for things she had left behind. 
Susie opened the door, and what she saw almost killed her. The sight of the man in the ski mask seemed to freeze her blood. He held a knife raised high in his hand. His hand came down to smash her. She was surprised to find that she had actually spun her chair out of the way on one wheel. The man was swinging so hard that her action caught him off guard. He lost his balance and stumbled forward. Susie stuck out her foot and tripped him. As he fell forward, she kicked the door into him. From behind the ski mask came a howl of pain. Just then, Susie heard one of her neighbors call down the hall. Are you all right? It was a miracle, Susie thought. The man in the ski mask got up, and Susie slammed the door into him again. She could hear the voices of other neighbors calling out now, and so could her attacker. He looked around wildly, then he ran down the hall away from the voices. Susie knew she had been lucky twice, but she hadn't been lucky the third time. She had called Dan Coogan again, and he sped over. Coogan told her about the man earlier in the day who said he had killed Molly Nadwick. He turned out to be a crackpot. He simply wanted his name on television. As Susie discovered, the real killer was still at large. Coogan joined her for tea and cookies. He said the police had found no fingerprints on the letter she got in the mail. The cops had talked to everyone linked to Millie Nadwick in any way. They talked to everyone in the apartment building. And so far, they did not have a single lead. Dan Coogan said he would have an officer take the empty place down the hall. He would keep an eye on her for a while. But Susie saw through it. Dan Coogan didn't fool her any more than her students ever had. With a teacher's fine sense, she had always known when her kids were lying. And she knew she was being lied to now. What the police really wanted was to use her as bait, because now they did have a lead to Millie's murder. And that lead was Susie herself. Susie had been up against some tough situations when teaching in public schools. On one vacation in the Far East, she had been mugged by a street gang. Her stroke had also tested Susie's spunk. No, Susie was no crybaby. She had grit. So she said nothing and let Dan Coogan feel he had fooled her. That was two nights ago when the policeman had moved into the apartment two doors down the hall. Tonight, that policeman lay dead, or so the killer had told Susie, the blood dripping from his knife. Then, the killer had seen the shock of surprise in Susie's eyes. He knew he had somehow given himself away, and Susie knew that meant nothing would stop him from killing her this time. Now he was in her kitchen. He held the knife that had just killed the policeman high above his head. He moved towards her in silence. Susie tried to yank her wheelchair away. She tried with all her strength to spin away. But she had been thrown back against the cabinets, and the man had trapped her near the stove. He moved slowly towards her. As he did, Susie reached over and turned on a burner, 
Quickly, she grabbed a hand towel and stuck it in the flame. When it was on fire, she flicked it at the killer's face. It didn't hurt him, but the flames made him jump back for a moment. Susie's fingers closed on the can where she kept her grease drippings. She scooped it up and tossed it at the man. The drippings splashed all over him. Then the killer was on her. She felt the sharp, ugly pain as his knife bit deep into her shoulder. Susie shoved the flaming towel into the grease drippings on his shirt and mask. Suddenly, the man was on fire. He stood up to his full height, but that caused the flames to flare up higher. He tore at his mask, then staggered blindly into the washing machine. Now he was a screaming, cursing mass of fire. He threw himself on the floor and tried to put out the flames. The knife was still firmly held in his hand. Somehow, the man put out the flames. Then he got to his knees. The mask and his face were one mass of red and black. Still, the man lifted the knife and came at her again on his knees now. Susie grabbed a cast iron frying pan and brought it down with all her might on the top of the killer's head. It made an awful thunk. The man in the mask fell. He did not move again. Twenty minutes later, the police doctors had taken him away on a stretcher. He had been raging in pain. Susie had learned much from his ravings. He had said something about thinking that Susie had seen him on the night of Millie's murder. It was a mistake, of course, but the man thought that Susie had seen him leaving Millie's place after murdering the poor woman. Susie was sitting in her living room now. A bandage was taped over the cut along her shoulder. She was explaining to Dan Coogan how she had known who the killer was. When the cops came, the man's face was charred and burned behind his ski mask. The police had to fish his name out of the wallet in his back pocket. Dan Coogan guessed that Susie had recognized the man's voice, and that's how she knew who he was. But it wasn't his voice that had given the man away, she explained. As a teacher, she should have known who the killer was as soon as she had gotten the letter. Even sooner, right after the funeral. You see, she told Coogan, he always used double negatives when he spoke. And the killer had used double negatives in both letters. Tonight, when the killer had faced her, and told Susie about the policeman he had just killed, the cop down the hall who was there to guard Susie, the murderer had said to her, That Snoopy cop won't be guarding no one no more. Susie knew that second that the killer was her postman, Charlie Middleton. We hope you enjoyed listening to this excerpt from Nowhere to Hide and Other Mystery Stories. If you would like to hear the entire audiobook, it can be purchased at Amazon.com, Audible.com, and iTunes.com.